When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Jordan Darvel, news editor at The Fader. At just 17 years old, Quinn has established herself as one of the most bold and beguiling experimental composers working today. Born in Baltimore and raised in the surrounding DMV, Quinn first emerged as a standout creator of hyperpop, an underground subculture marked by chaos, angst, and an exhilarating rawness that flourished on SoundCloud. Tracks like OK I'm Cool and I Don't Want That Many Friends in the First Place made a name for Quinn, but she quickly found herself outgrowing the scene that made her a star. Instead of chasing fame, she chose to focus on her craft. As a result, Quinn has created full-length albums far beyond the scope of her initial efforts. Her debut, 2020's Drive-By Lullabies, represented her first steps away from hyperpop. Fans of her early work would be drawn to songs like Coping Mechanism, a fuzzed-out emo-pop song rippling with the pain that defines Quinn's work. But for the first time, these songs felt like smaller parts of a whole. On her new, self-titled album, Quinn is more confident in her wide-ranging musical talents than ever before. With a love for lo-fi beat tapes, hip-hop, and neo-soul coursing through it, Quinn's new album endeavors to represent a definitive artistic statement for a certain moment in time. Impressively, Quinn's pulled it off. This week, I called Quinn at her home in Columbus, Georgia to speak about the new project, her thoughts on the scene she left behind, and her label, Dead Air Records. You're out on summer vacation now, right? I'm on summer vacation. I get back in school for my last year on August 9th, but at the same time, I got the New York show coming up, so I'll be spending this last summer as a child, the last week of it, in New York doing that show. But yeah, I'm on summer right now. Damn, there's so much to unpack there. I mean, do you still feel like a child? Hell no. To be honest, I stopped feeling like a child when I was like, stopped being taken as a child and more of an artist, you know what I mean? That doesn't mean that, you know, my childhood ended right there or stuff like got bad at that moment. But, you know, that was that was the last time I genuinely felt like somebody who needed to be looked after. But so now I'm just straight up excited. Yeah, when we first spoke for the website, it sounded like you were a bit more wide-eyed about the music industry and what all of this attention meant. Like you were still sort of taken aback that people were listening to you and, and taking you seriously as an artist, not just within the scene that you are making, but as a person exceptional beyond that. Yeah, honestly, I'm, and I'm still taken, I'm still a little taken aback by it, depending on who's listening. But nowadays, my eyes aren't as wide, nowhere near as wide. And I know exactly what I want to do before I want to do it. Because last time we spoke, it was just, I was just at a period of where like, okay, I think of something at the moment, I do it, and then I release it. I didn't really think of how much it would impact my discographies or my legacy or anything like that. I didn't really think about that. 
But um, all that stuff really does play a part when you start, when you release things. So I've been sticking to perfecting my craft, as you can see, especially with the uh, release of my self-titled. Yeah, the new album, it's so crazy to put it next to something like Drive-By Lullabies. They're two completely different works, but they, you can still tell that they came from the same artist. Like, how did you approach this project, your self-titled compared to your first album the first album drive by lullabies i'd like to call that a test run if that makes sense that was the third draft of my first album of course so i've so by the third draft of course i've gotten into the shake of composing an album but at the same time when i released drive by lullabies it was really messy but i wanted it to be that way i wanted it to be messy and i'm glad that it is messy and i was like you know what what if i just stick to that messiness because that messiness is who i am i like throwing it all on the table and just like waiting for a reaction you know that's just who i am so with Quinn, the self-titled, the only thing that's mainly different is that I know what type of music I want to go for, which is a more like melodic, soulful, or, you know, a, a just, a, just a, a good feeling, you know what I mean? Something along those lines of like really good and bright vocals and layered vocals. And um, when it's not layered, it's just flat out beautiful. Yeah, the thing about Quinn, that's a lot different than Drive By Lullabies is that I took a lot more time to plan this one out as you can hear in some of the transitions and stuff like that and some of the stuff I talk about you know the subject matter is a lot more deeper than just the best friend who betrayed me you know what I mean tell a friend matter of fact go up to your parents and just tell them how we forced to stay inside of a country we weren't developed in it set us up for failure and we can't leave put their knees all up on our neck until we can't breathe say big words and then they act like they right then adopting black kids so they can act like they white damn it's kind of funny how they shame us for our color when they fucking on their mother and their sister and their brother and their auntie and their uncle and their dogs I ain't forget that and slavery took way too much energy we can't get back there's some guarantee motherfuckers mad at this how much you want back to your skin color doesn't match mine the song uh, American Freestyle that's a track that really stood out to me I mean it's got such anger and ferocity and you know it's a really standout rap verse for me this year from from anybody. Can you talk to me a little bit about writing that track and its inclusion in the record? Gladly. Okay. As you know, I'm from out east, Baltimore, more so raised in Virginia and Baltimore at the same time. So DMV is my home, right? A very progressive area and very black area. So rarely, if you stuck to your close circle, you'd rarely, you'd not, I wouldn't say rarely experience prejudice, but you, it, you'd experience a lot less of if you weren't in that circle of POCs, you know what I mean? So growing up in the DMV, I didn't really have to deal with much prejudice as a child, except for like at school and stuff like that. Moving down here, I just moved to Columbus, Georgia recently, which is in the deep south is located right on the border of Alabama. It was a vast difference because now I see myself getting profiled like shit for pretty much every time I leave the house, you know what I mean? It's always from the same people and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about when I say that, you know? But I wrote that song mainly because that was the first time I got like profiled and I was aware of it. That was the same day me and my friends Mike and Jared, we were just walking and we got profiled by these people in my own damn neighborhood. And they were like, uh, da, da, da. I don't know what your like what your type has business around here doing, but get away from my cars. And we got in a little small screaming match. And after it was over, you know, 
Jared and Mike, they was back to normal, but I was still pissed because that was the first time I really been called out like that, you know? So I'm I'm ready. I go home. I tell my dad, you know, I tell I tell everyone I can, hoping something happen, but ain't ain't shit happen. And that's when I realized that that shit's just normal down here. And I'm like, nah, bro, that's not cool. So I had to let that out. And that's what American freestyle is. It's just like, it's just a diss track for, for real, you know, just a diss track towards America. Because of course, there's not a lot to be happy about in today's day and age when you live in the, in the melting pot that is the United States. You know what I mean? It's gotten so bad that I had to express that to fans. I don't usually get political, but I have to let people know, like, I don't fuck with prejudice of any sort. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, what I like about that track in particular is that it alludes to progressive listeners and the people who might not otherwise consider themselves like a part of the race kind of racism that you're talking about you're like no you need to go and talk to your parents and you know you need to go and put yourself on the front line of this too so it's a very layered sort of just depiction of racism and how it's experienced and people's complicity in it uh-huh and i wanted to use that track to like really capture the anger or the angst that i had you know at that time and I wanted the focus to be what I was saying. So I didn't even include an instrumental, of course, you know what I mean? So what kind of music were you listening to around the time of, of this album's creation? I'm glad you said work because my taste changes a ton. I just love music. But music I was listening to, I will say the cover of the album was inspired by um, Matt Martian's album, I think it's called Drum Chord Theory. I often forget it. The cover was inspired by that because I saw him with all this hardware. I'm like, yo, it'd be dope if I had something as creative as that. So I did that. With other tracks, of course, like Two Door Tiffany, and I've heard that song before, and Please Don't Waste My Time Here. That all comes from influences such as, like, of course, I got to credit early Steve Lacey and the internet. Standing on the corner, everyone sees that. It's Lost and Malone, all those people, that's a no-brainer. It's interesting because I've gotten people telling me like, oh yeah, this album is like a lot like Red Burns, this, that, and a third, you know, it's Lost and Malone this, Lost and Malone that. And it's funny they say that because we got him to, we got him himself, Lost and Malone, to listen to the album. And, you know, I've I basically got his approval to release it pretty much and you know he gave me some advice and it was cool it was great you know seeing somebody that I idol so much to give me such sincere and meaningful advice and shit like that you know what I mean he told me when I dropped this album it may not take people first or second listen to grasp what I'm doing or grasp who I am or stuff like that and it may take people a long time to fully understand what I have released because it truly is a masterpiece and I've remembered that you know ever since I ever since I heard it I mean when you say like across the album you ain't never heard no shit like this in your life it feels like every single time you say that you've done something or you do something like before and after to really hammer that down to be like yeah, you hear what I just did? Like, you haven't heard that before. Hear what I'm going to do? You haven't heard that before. I kind of feel like it's more like I'm with a person when I'm listening to it. Like, I'm with the person who made it more so than other albums. A part of me saying that throughout the album was to sort of just dig into the fact that you've truly never heard, like, some of this shit that I did, you've probably never heard. And I wanted to dig into that, especially with, you know, listeners of my more accessible music. They haven't heard some shit like that, you know, if they're just listening to shit that's easily digestible and stuff like that. So I wanted to dig into that 
to whereas, you know, whether you do or don't like the album, I'm right. You haven't ever heard some shit like it. You know what I mean? So I really wanted to toot my own horn, per se, um, when making this album. You know what I mean? And a lot about this album was just me, like, embracing my creativity, especially with the arrangement of tracks and stuff like that. All of that, all of the, the whole arrangement of the album, it all means something, you know. Each track means something specific, this, that, and a third. So I really wanted to tap into how creative I could get while having the minimalness that my production does. I wanted to see where my boundaries could take me. And I think it's fair to say that I still have not reached my boundaries, but it was fun making this album and I made it my self-titled because this is the most Quinn thing that I can do. You know, I was stressed like shit, I don't know why, but I was really stressed, you know what I mean? So I just, I just couldn't eat, you know? And my dad, you know, he, he picked it up, he showed it to me, he's like, he's like, he's like, you know, you see all that meat on that bone? I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I see it, you know what I mean? And uh, my mom was like, you wanna throw it away? I was like, I was like, you know, I didn't say nothing. I was scared as fuck. You know, my parents, you know, they yelling at me and shit. You know what I mean? And, you know, um, and he, my dad, these words I'll never forget. I love my dad, but i never forget these words. He told me this, these exact words. He said, my grandmother, uh, she'd be disappointed in you. Yeah, speaking of arrangements, I wanted to talk to you about the final track. It, it concludes with this story of you having dinner with your family and this confrontation with your dad, it takes place, I think you said you were seven or eight at the time. It's a very sad story. And it comes after an album that, you know, it goes through a lot of emotions, a lot of mind states of Quinn. But the overwhelming feeling that I got from it is this is a far more confident, assured person and artist than we've heard before. And ending it on that note, I just thought was such a raw curveball that I wasn't really expecting. So could you talk to me a little bit more about that decision? This whole album represents, like I said, my creativity and my thought process. See, look, I'm starting out on hustle. I'm excited, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, no need to knock the hustle when you kind of are the hustle. I'm the hustle, you know what I mean? Um, I'm hustling, I'm confident in myself. I know I'm about to make some good shit. And throughout the album, it proves that. But by the end of it, I don't like it anymore. I'm back to square one. So then you start the album over again, and boom, I'm back to being confident again. This this and that happens, this and that happens. I'm back in that rut. Just to portray that cycle, pretty much, that's basically why the tracks are arranged in the way that they are, you know? It's just me like, yo, I'm gonna get in the studio, make some crazy shit, and then the rest of the album is that crazy shit, and then the end of the album is me just completely denouncing it, you know what I mean? And completely denouncing myself as a person because I do find myself denouncing my accomplishments and shit like that, you know? Like when they told me I got a show in Brooklyn on August 6th, I was less enthusiastic than I thought I would be because I, I don't find myself being enthusiastic about a lot of things. If you told me that, you know, I just received a million dollars in the mail, I really wouldn't be that excited because really what would change, you know? I feel like that is a result of like years of depression, especially stemming from my childhood, but also like years of recovery too, you know what I mean? And it just sort of clashes with each other, you know? Like I'm able to be chilling nonchalant, but at the same time, I can't really get excited for much. Yeah, that kind of went off topic, but that is something I've never addressed before. Does it link back as well to the imposter syndrome that you talk about on the record a bit? 
yes, I have major imposter syndrome. So much to where if I release something, I can't really listen to it after I released it because I'd get kind of embarrassed. I don't know how to, I don't, like, I'm like, yeah, I made this and it's great but other people heard it. So I don't care if it's great, but I'm embarrassed because I made this and other people heard it, you know what I mean? But it doesn't happen nowhere near as much as it used to, I'll say, especially with this album. This is the one thing that I dropped and I can still listen to, you know what I mean? But like all of my old stuff, I can't really go back and look at it because something in me just is just like embarrassing. And I think actually, I think that comes from like when I blew up, you know, I wasn't taking anything seriously. So people made fun of that. And people, people made fun of my legitimacy. All the music, all the hardcore music critics made fun of my legitimacy and what I could do as an artist and really tried to limit me as just a cringy teenager who's fucking around. I hate now, I hate the word cringe because it stinks of Reddit. But yeah, part of this album is proving them wrong. Part of me getting more serious with music is proving them wrong and also me finding a lot more fun taking music more seriously but i'm just here to get my name back I'm, I'm just here to prove everybody who ruined my life that i'm something more than they thought you know when you put quinn on hiatus and started making music as cat mother was that a reaction to this backlash as you just described kind of sort of because then i really wanted to make different shit and i was showcasing it on like my social medias and stuff like that but at the time i had the type of fan base where they wasn't really fucking with shit like that i thought it would just be all around good if i just left completely for a long time and also if i could just make what i want just to see how that feels so i left for that six to eight month interval just making stuff under cat mother and under under a whole nother twitter account everything whole other fan base all of that shit just to see how it would feel you know what i mean and it felt great this time the third but eventually i came back and i merged that with my discography after dropping drive by lullabies that first debut album people started taking me seriously you know what i mean which I'm glad about because people take me seriously now and people are like critically rating me, you know, um, like a mixtape I released is number one. It's been number one on Rate Your Music for 2022 since like it dropped earlier this year. Why? I don't know. But yeah, um, I'm just glad to be taken more seriously nowadays, if anything. I'm just grateful for that. In the reception of both Drive-By Lullabies and now Quinn, which has been pretty much universal acclaim, are you still trying to hold on to that sense of like distancing yourself from this critical adoration? Or are you allowing it to you know, wash over yourself a little bit and sort of take away some of that sense of imposter syndrome and, and that sense of I'm not good enough before you get back to work? Yeah, I'm pretty much trying to take away that imposter syndrome, especially with this album. And like I like I just touched on, that imposter syndrome does stem from people telling me that I'm not good enough or have to amount to this certain artistic vision or whatnot. You know what I mean? So I'm just more so happy to be taken seriously. I'm also happy that, you know, I can make what I want and people will still like it because it wasn't like that before. You know, people just wanted that. OK, I'm cool. or I don't want that many friends in the first place. They wanted that over and over. But I couldn't do that. Cause um I I know better I know myself better I know my career path better. First of all, it's not what I want. Second of all, I'm smarter than that. Like, why would I drop the same sounds over and over? That's how you fall off and just get never. You're just never heard from again. So I'm like, okay, I need to switch it up. Cause I just like switching it up. Two people told me two things that stick with me 
The first thing was somebody said they love when I'm like teasing music because when I'm about to drop, they can never really tell what I'm going to drop. It could be electronic, it could be acoustic, it could be vocal, it could be instrumental. You don't know. So you just got to sit there and wonder. And I like that. It's kind of like a mystery box sort of thing. And I like, and in my campaigns, I like showing absolutely nothing about the music. I like people going in blind. You know, that just feeds into that aspect pretty much. The second thing is somebody told me that like, yeah, bro, you have a vibe that I can't really explain. And for some reason, I love that about you. And I'm like, well, thank you. My whole, some, they, they basically called me unexplainable and unpredictable. And I carry that on my shoulder because a lot of people call me unexplainable and unpredictable. So I'm like, okay, what if I just made that my thing? Like, mom, what if I embrace that weirdness? And again, that's what Quinn is. I'm just, you know, breaking into that unpredictableness and stuff like that. But at the same time, I have the ability to be that and cohesive. So I wanted to dig into that too. I mean, I wanted to talk a little bit about the early scene that you came up in, you know, quote unquote, hyperpop, digicore, whatever. I wanted to get your general thoughts on that scene, the music that came out of it when, you know, you were still, I guess, integrated into it. Obviously you're you're not anymore. You're, you're, you're beyond what's, whatever's happening there now. How the press covered it, just like, I don't know, I guess a post-mortem as it pertains to you as an artist. Very creative people. The people I came up with, you know, shout, shout out to them. I won't name names because I'm going to be real. I don't talk to pretty much anybody in the community anymore, although I still do have lots of love for those people in the community. However, comma, it's no denying that there is a bullshit ton of unoriginality and just straight up just making shit that's like, okay, how can I impress these people? Or how can I make the most eclectic song or the most loudest song or the most chaotic project file or chaotic beat or just anything like that to where I can impress my peers and feel, and feel gratitude from it? Now, I know that people are guilty of that because not only have I seen it, but also I used to be like that. I used to want to make all this loud shit and all this crazy shit and all this hyper chaotic shit just 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 for a rise out of my peers just to be seen as you know somebody who's like oh yeah Quinn's got crazy sound design oh yeah Quinn's this Quinn's that it just wasn't worth it in the long run and I really had to dig into myself and stick to and stay to what's true to me which is why I was so happy to get myself titled as a as a as a final product and I'm happy that people like it cuz I thought people would just want that loud eclectic stuff I was worried about that and you know a lot the reception is pretty good you know the only people who don't like it are the people who don't understand it which is only like three so I don't mind right now but the whole community that I came up in like I said at the time that it happened it was amazing but for so many reasons I won't say it's a bad community because every community has its pros and its cons it's just not the community where I typically find any wiggle room or breathing room in. too much unoriginality too much people stick into the to the to the same scripts that I wrote two years ago too many people not embracing their true self I'm not bashing them for being unoriginal it's more so like I feel bad for people who got it be unoriginal to make money you know what i mean you're either in a fucked up situation or you just don't know yourself 
And, you know, I feel bad for people who are in both, you know, because I've been in fucked up financial situations, of course. You know, I think it's safe to say that most of American pe people of color have. I've also know I, I do know what it feels like to not know yourself musically and to just stick to whatever scripts out there for the sake of being a part of something that is a community. You know what I mean? I do know what that feels like. So I feel bad when people are stuck in that, that headspace, you know? And I feel like only the people who break out of that headspace of like sticking to a script are the people who make it in certain like, you know, and in, in music basically. And not even just the music, but all sorts of arts, you know? You gotta tap into yourself and who you are and people have to like that for you to make it, you know what I mean? It doesn't come from just making the same shit over and over again. A certain example I'd say would probably be Yeet. His music, his fan base, his songs and all that, it does the job. It's supposed to get you hyper, this, that, the third, so it's not supposed to be that digestible. I get that, 100%. It's not supposed to have some hidden meaning. It's supposed to just be what it is, and it's supposed to be cool-ass music, in which I do I do love. Do I find myself typically listening to you? I'll be honest, no, not really. However, I do acknowledge how his music does do the job for that certain target audience, and he clearly is doing very well from it. However, every dog has its day. If he doesn't expand on that sound that he's doing, simple as it is, you know, his day will come a lot sooner than most. You know what I mean? And soon we'll just be like, oh, yeah, I remember ye. And that's fine, too. You don't always have to be the greatest of all time. People who just copy and copy and are just unoriginal, I don't spite you. I don't not like you. That's OK. But that's just not who I am. I don't want to stick to a foundation of a genre or something like that. I just want to make cool noises and I want you to hear them. Yeah, I think it's just something and I, I don't think it's necessarily particular to the scene that you came out of once you get a certain synth preset that hits with a large amount of people then people just stick with that so yeah i i hear what it's dangerous it's and, and you know i mean all power to you for for identifying that so early that's the biggest fear i had i was like yeah if i keep making this shit that these music credits are basically memeing me for i'm going to eventually become a parody of, of myself and shit will come full circle and i'll never run away from that parody that i've made out of myself because that's just who i am like for example yeet the made rich minion he can't he can't really go back and make some like some fucking well put together shit like a, a, a collective ambient album. He can't just drop that shit out of nowhere now because, you know, he's he's a parody of himself now. If somebody drop if he drops some shit like that, they're going to see it as ironic. They're like, holy shit, the minion guy is making ambient music now. And I was like, I did not want to be taken like that, you know, like. I didn't want to be the hyper pop person, you know, or the hyper popper is making this or this hyper pop artist is making that. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do whatever. And you guys are welcome to like it or not like it. I don't really care, but either way, you're going to hear it. You know what I mean? I wanted to talk a little bit about Dead Air, the record company that, you know, you're heavily involved with and that has put out Drive-By Lullabies and Quinn. Talk to me about how that came together and... The artists that you're working with now and how you see it you know evolving the trajectory of your career that air it, i basically got brought onto the I, I got brought on to dismiss yourself before that air dismiss yourself is basically an underground label between jesse the head of that air and another guy named sticky who's now the head of dismiss yourself well he's always been one of the heads of dismiss yourself but now he's the sole the one head you know i got brought on 
to dismiss yourself when Jesse, his friend Rich, put him on to me, and then Jesse hit me up. I believe it was for an interview. And then he brought me on to dismiss yourself to run the drive by Little Bias campaign later on down the line when he saw that I was releasing an album. And so we got we grew a lot closer within that campaign, you know, this, that, and the third. And then, you know, that dropped and I made my money and we went our separate ways. Fast forward, Jesse starts his label, Dead Air. I'm offered, I think I was offered to join initially before it was launched. And I was like, nah, I'm good. But then they launched it. And I changed my mind the night of, if I'm not like the night after, and then that's when I joined the roster. Like the within the same 24 hour span, the label dropped. Ever since then, it's been absolutely amazing. I got all the benefits that I thought that I would have to sign to a label for and give up a lot of integrity for. Whereas in Dead Air, it does not work like a major label at all. You know, it's basically like you know, I can just straight up tell them like, "Yo, I'm done," and we'd be done. Just like that, there's no legal binding, no contracts, no debts, no nothing like that. You know, nothing to pay off or anything like that, unless we've commissioned an artist and have yet to pay them, of course. We're just really laid back, really DIY, you know. And another thing that I like is the artists within the label, like, often creatively direct each other. You know what I mean? You might find me producing for Saturn or Jane or something like that, you know, or if not producing, then I'm at least introducing ideas to stick with their campaigns or stuff like that. And because I just like helping. It's a huge part of my life now. They're helping me get closer with the people that I want to work with, which is that whole like, you know, that underground neo soul slash sample based hip hop community. You know, I'm getting cooler with them as the time goes on because, you know, they're cool people and I I do want to work with People like them later on down the line, like, you know, of course, Mike and Earl. Although it seems unrealistic, I feel as though I can make it happen later on down the line. So, you know, it feels great because, you know, Jesse has a dream for me and that dream is the same as mine and we're making it come true. And I know Jesse can because Jesse has been, both Jesse and Billy, the two heads of the label, they've been through all these, they've, they've been with all these communities, they've made these connections before, and they can help me make those connections and stuff like that. And even if they've never been there before, they know how to prompt that connection. And I don't know, I often tell Jesse all the time, like, I don't know how the fuck he makes it happen, but he, he, he makes the craziest connections happen, such as like, I remember he told me he went to like elementary school with Alex G or some shit, and that was true. He just meets these crazy people. I don't know how he does it, but he just does. like. And he made that. That's why I trust Jesse so much, cause he just. I, if there's anyone that I can see making just absolutely insane connections, it is Jesse, cause he just knows people, and he runs into them like it's nothing. I can make the connection through the music, and he can just make it happen through the industry or in real life. You know, um, when we go to New York, who who knows I'm gonna be linked up with in New York? You know, it's crazy. That air is just a, a crazy thing that's going on right now, and it's amazing, and I live for it honestly. It's one of the things that I live for. And I take pride in my role of dead air and everything like that. So, yeah. You mentioned this as well at the start of the interview, but you talked about being a lot more considered about your discography. Do you have like a sequential plan of albums? Like, do you have an idea of what the next project is going to be and like the next one and the next one? Or is it, you know, a bit more freeform than that? It's pretty freeform. I basically get an idea of what I think a good album would sound like and then I make it. 
and then that's that. Now, I will say lately I've been looking towards less of a self-titled approach and more of a... Um, I use The Ooze by King Cruel as an example. Every song on that album is a song, unlike the self-titled that I just released. Not every song is a song. Some of are, some are interludes and shit like that. I want to... Uh, so with this next album, I think I want to dig into that while also maintaining that like interlude-like feel. You know, and that personal connection, that 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 sense of a personal connection that you feel when listening to the album. I want to make sure if I, I want to see if I can keep that. Something like the ooze did. That's a great album to explain in that manner. Like, it's of course instrumental. It has all the basic aspects of an album while also feeling personal because of all these melodic interludes and or shit like that. You know, so I wanna I wanna see if I can do something like that for the next project, but. You know, I, th I think that after the trip to New York and the Brooklyn show and shit like that, I'm going to sit back for a minute because I think I do need a breather. But, you know, I'm I'm just I'm just happy to see where I'm at right now and stuff like that. And I'm a lot more grateful than I was before. All right, Quinn, congratulations on the new album. It's phenomenal. Good luck on the show. Break a leg. And thank you for joining us today on the Fader interview. Hell yeah. Thank you for having me, man. Hell yeah. That was Quinn talking to the Faders' Jordan Darville. Quinn's new self-titled album is out now via Dead Air Records. The Fader interview is engineered by Tony Giambroni. Executive producer is Alex Robert Ross, and the associate producer is Raphael Halfan. We'd like to thank Lauten Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate it if you left a five-star rating and review. If you like listening to The Fader, good news. We're now on the new live radio app, AMP. You can download it from the App Store and check out our shows with the access code FADEROnAMP, all one word. And keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Fader Interview. See you then.